I think of the challenges more to do on the making side of things rather than the actual like designing things. Yeah. Um, you know, like when, when things aren't going your way and, you know, in the, in the workshop or whatever, and, and you make constantly making mistakes, um, you know, it's challenging to just, you know, keep, keep pushing forward. Um, and there've been many, many moments where, you know, it's been like a snowballing effect. Like I'll make one mistake and then it'll just keep going and going and going. Wow. And it's like, you know, it ends up being like a, you know, one step forward, 10 steps back kind of scenario. Um, wow. And so, you know, when it gets to that stage, I'm usually just like, all right, stop what I'm doing, walk away, you know, go, you know, go away, do something else, you know, so that your, your attention units are completely on something different. Yeah, and then, and then come back to it in the new unit of time. I'm Ren McDonald, and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hope Initiative. My name's Rin MacDonald, your host. Thanks so much for tuning in. For today's episode, number 47, with Jackson Fairley. Jackson and I grew up in the same circles, but never really hanging out a great deal. He's a few years younger than me, but I actually have been close friends with his sister, Jess, who has been on the show, I think it was episode 18. Uh, I'll whack that one in the show notes, but he is such a young, talented man who works in the woodcrafting field, fine furniture, very creative dude. And in this conversation, we speak about how he knew from the age of 10 what he wanted to do with his life and how he crafted that and how he's built that moving forward. And now at the age of 22, putting in thousands of hours into his craft. I learned a lot from from this conversation. He's such a humble dude. He, thankfully for me, and and, uh, has been a big supporter of the podcast, listened to many episodes um, so far. And I was, you know, really, really honored and, and decided to get him on the show. So I was really proud of this conversation. I learned lots from it and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here's Jackson. Jackson Fairley, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thanks, thanks for coming on. We're doing this via Zoom today. So to give a bit of context about how we know each other, um, family, friends, I would say sort of the first thing, grew up uh, in the same church together and uh, been good friends with your sister for many years. She's actually been on the show, episode 18, Jessica Fairley. Um, go back and listen to that if, if anyone hasn't. Um, but as well, you've, uh, you've also made a few, few pieces of, of furniture for me over the years or, or recently, which are still, you know, standing strong in my house, which is really cool and something we'll, we'll speak on. Um, but another little random funny thing, which I only found out a few years ago was that our fathers, so my dad, Robert and your dad, Andrew, they grew up together as like yeah. really good friends because your dad, if I get this right, your dad's cousin and his name escapes me right now. You may, you probably know him because he'd be your uncle, I think, or maybe, maybe it's not, no, uh, he'd be your uncle. I'm pretty sure there's a cousin, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the Dewhursts. Some, I yeah, don't Peter, know the first Peter name. Dewhurst. Peter Dewhurst. Peter Dewhurst. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my dad's best friend, and yeah, growing up. So that was just a little bit of random, random thing that I found out a few years ago. But um, no. Yeah. It's, small yeah. world. Small world. It really is. <laughs> Even though we've probably known each other for many years, um, but not not had too much to do with each other, you and I. But I wanted to invite you on as a guest. You've been kind enough to be a listener of the podcast. I think, you know, probably since one of the first, or the first episode. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kick things off and you probably know, you know, maybe this question is coming more than, more than most, but I'd like you to share your life story, starting with maybe your, your earliest memory and come forward to present time, but I'll challenge you to do it in, uh, in three minutes or less. Not that I'm going to set a timer, but, uh, I'd like to give that yeah. a challenge. So I've said enough over to you, Jackson. All right. Well, um, let's see. I, um, I grew up in the southeastern suburbs in, uh, in Chelsea. Um, got two parents and one sister, as you mentioned. Um, probably the earliest memory I can I have of just like my childhood would be probably playing, playing cricket in the, uh, in the street with some of my, my mates in um, probably around grade six, I think. Yep. Um, yeah. That was that was fun. Um, yeah, we just you know come up after school and, and play cricket and you know we'd be out until especially during the summertime we'll be outside until like seven thirty eight o'clock until it got dark. Um, yeah. Yeah, nice. And and then talk to me about like high school. What what is some of your memories of of high school? High school. Um, high school was interesting for me. I. I didn't really like schooling to begin with. Um, from the age of maybe ten, I sort of already knew what I wanted to do, and so I had that had a goal in mind. Um, so going through high school, I just sort of, you know, I just sort of got through it and did did the work. Um, I actually, um, you know, for those who don't know, I'm a, I'm a furniture maker, and um, I actually started learning furniture when I was about twelve. Wow. And that's pretty much what I did. Like every single time I get home from school, I wouldn't be doing homework. I'd be in the workshop making furniture. And so I think um, I sort of uh, put aside my schooling for my for furniture making. Um, so, you know, I still kept up with my grades and stuff like that. But I always throughout high school had the goal of like, all right, just get through high school and then move on to what I wanted to do. Um, which is, you know, make furniture. But yeah, so I went to, um, where did I start out with? I started um, at a school in Frankston called John Paul College. Yep. It was a Catholic school, um, co-ed. And so I think I was there from year seven to year nine. Yep. And then my family and I moved up to Templestowe area. Yeah. Um, and then I was at Box Hill Senior Secondary, which I believe you went there. Yeah, yeah, I was there years. for two years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I went there and, and was there for two years, and that was a really good school. Um, you know, it really fit more with what I wanted to do. Although I wasn't perfectly in alignment, it was it had more trades and, and stuff that I was interested in. Um, yeah. 
Whereas in my previous school, it was just more about the, you know, grades and the academic uh, side of things rather than the hands-on and practical yeah. um, things. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so, um, and I, you know, I really enjoyed that school. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I went from that school and then um, I completed up to year 11. And I was about to go into my final year of high school. Um, and I decided to do my final year via homeschooling um, because I was trying to save money to save money to go to Boston in America right. to study furniture making. And, um, you know, I figured if I could, if I could uh, work more hours during the week, I could earn more money quicker and, and get to Boston quicker. Um, right. So I, yeah, so I ended up doing homeschooling uh, with distance education, which is the, I think the main offices in like Thornbury. But basically I do schooling three days a week and then work, you know, two and a half, two and a half days. Um, and I did that throughout the entire, you know, my entire year 12. Um, and, you know, I, I, I graduated, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, man. So I want to I go back. So you mentioned that you knew what you wanted to do with your life from like the age of 10 and that you started making yeah. furniture from the age of 12, which is pretty, pretty special. And that's something you're doing now, which I definitely want to talk a lot about. I mentioned at the start, you've made uh, two pieces of furniture for me. Um, my favorite is this, like this, um, how would you describe it? You made it this, this bookshelf. It's like a pyramid style bookshelf, possibly. Yeah, it's kind of, you picture like an A-frame ladder. Yeah. And then it's got like, you know, shelves across each each step. Yeah. Basically. Really uh, nice. Like I've seen other things like people probably, you know, you could buy a, a really cheap dodgy version of it at Kmart or something. I think I've seen one in, a, in someone else's house and I, I inspected it to see what it was like. And it was like this flimsy thing. I wouldn't trust putting, you know, a cup of water on it. And I just remembered mine and like, I know mine, you've made it it's like thick wood, really, really built with care and, and craftsmanship. But um, I won't keep pumping you up any more than that. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about your, your skill a bit later, but yeah. Why or what, what led you to, to knowing that at the age of 10, what was the first, maybe what was the first thing you built? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. I think the first thing I built was like, you know, those tech deck skateboards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I built like little mini skate parks. Oh, wow. Now, you know, have like half pipes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you built it out of wood. Out of wood. Yeah. Wow. And like, I'd get like artificial grass and have like different stuff like that um, in cool. there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was the first thing I can really, you know, attribute you know where I where I started but um a little bit before that um when I was 10 I did some I did some carpentry work with a with a friend of mine who was a carpenter at the time yeah. and, you know I didn't do much I, I just sort of you know went to the job site and just sort of sat around and observed and and helped out where I could but you know I couldn't yeah. use any power tools or anything 
Yeah. Um, it's so, a yard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just helped move, you know, wood and stuff like that and, and lay out the nails and stuff for him. Um, but, you know, I did that for, for maybe a year and a half. And I sort of, you know, I was thinking about being a carpenter because I really enjoyed the hands-on side of it. And then the more I got to thinking about it, the more I wanted to do finer work. Mm. And, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, because it was just, you know, putting nails into wood was basically what carpentry was for me back then. Yeah. And I wanted, you know, to do something a bit more. So, um, you know, I, I, I heard about this woodwork thing and um, and I, you know, spent hours on YouTube watching it. And I think I started off watching some, you know, pretty amateur woodworking videos, but I built my skill level off of that. And, uh, and you know, I just kept on honing my skills. Um, and then, you know, in, I think it was 20, 20, 2012, that's when Sydney won the grand final. Um, <laughs> Reference I, point. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I contacted a private woodworking guild, I guess. And, um, and I think I was 13 at the time and I wanted to take up woodworking further. Mm. And um, I contacted another uh, several places at the time, but no one would take me because of my age. I was so young that the insurance companies, you know, wouldn't wouldn't cover the school if you know I would get injured or something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I contacted this fun school called the Melbourne Guild of Fine Woodworking, and um, and they said, you know, passion's all we need, you know. So so you know, come and come and join us. Um, and that was really where I got interested in the fine furniture making aspect of it, yeah. Um, rather than just the woodworking side of it, um, yeah. And you know, I'd, I'd go there once a once a week, every Saturday morning for you know three hours or so, and learn how to make furniture. I think my first project there was like a small little nightstand. Yeah. Um, it took me like a year and a half, but you yeah. know, I learned learned a lot from it, and you know, it was the first time know learning to make furniture so wow yeah that's That's special man i mean yeah i I guess it's nice of them to accept you on that basis of passion i know there's a lot of like restrictions oh&s laws and all those sort of boring but probably necessary things especially when you're dealing with you know nails and and devices power tools like you mentioned probably yeah probably a lot to entrust to to a young kid but you obviously very talented um well, maybe not obviously to people but obviously to me <laughs> this is all audio um, yeah no you're welcome so then that was in in 2012 you you were yeah. there in melbourne when did you when did you decide to to go over to boston you mentioned you know you stopped you know going to school in year 12 and did homeschooling and, and wanted to work and the school mm. in boston He's called the North Bennett Street School, which yeah. to me, I, I did a little bit of research before this and the name doesn't give away too much um, as to what it is, but mm. from all accounts, they teach not, not just cabinet and furniture making, but a lot of hands-on, you know, finer design skills, so the, uh, courses. So there's like jewelry making and, and I think there's locksmith work and you could probably tell it better than me, violin, they make pianos, all these sorts of things. Can you yeah. maybe tell me 
how you came across them and, and why you wanted to, to go all the way to the other side of the world in Boston. Yeah, so, um, so a lot of that has to do with the, the guild that I joined um, you know, in 2012. And um, my instructor at the time was a former graduate of the program oh. in North Bend Street School. Um, and he didn't necessarily, you know, say, you know, I went to North Bend Street School and I think you should do that because it's a really good program. He just sort of mentioned to me that, you know, that's where he, that's where he learned how to do fine furniture making. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I was at the Guild for probably like another five years as a student there. And I think the, you know, um, I guess year by year, it sort of became more clear that I wanted to do this as a full-time, you know, profession. Um, uh, but I knew, you know, my skill level needed to, you know, increase and go to the next level. Mm. Um, and seeing all the, not not just not just the way he taught me, but the way in which um, the furniture he made and how, you know, how well built it was made um really you know got me thinking that all right if i'm gonna if i'm gonna do this then north Bend street school is the best place to to learn the art of furniture making um yeah wow. so i think i was about i was about 15 when i made that decision wow. so i was like all right i'm gonna go to boston that's cool who's what's the name of that person that guy uh alistair Bowl. Alistair Bowl. Yeah, B-O-E-L-L. Nice. Good on Alistair, hey, for helping. Would you say he's like, he would be a mentor of yours from, from that young age? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he helped me out so much. Um, you know, I'd be constantly sending him emails back and forth, you know, asking him questions, even when he wasn't even teaching me. Oh, wow. Um, stuff like that yeah he helped me out a lot yeah and so he's as far as you know still a teacher here in melbourne what was the name of the school again so the guild that you it's called the melbourne guild of fine woodworking melbourne guild of fine woodworking nice yeah and he still teaches there does he yeah he still teaches there um cool. they used to be in box hill and now they've moved to blackburn yeah but um okay yeah so it's sort of occurs to me like for anyone who you may have heard, there's this sort of this datum in the world that if you can do 10,000 hours of something, you become like a master at it. You heard of that before? Yeah. 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 So you're what you're, you're in your early twenties. I'm guessing like 20, 21, 22, 22. Sorry. So you're 22. Yeah. You've, you've been making, you know, little skate, skate parks, miniature skate parks for your, your tech deck since the age of 12. So you've doing, been doing it for 10 years, obviously getting into some more serious things as you get a bit older. But mm. it's quite, quite clear that you would have done at least a thousand, thousands of hours, right? I don't know, about 10,000. We could maybe have a guess. What do, you, what do you think? You've been doing it for 10 years. Um, I think, you know... I've probably done 5,000, but if I were to really attribute, you know, I'd probably only attribute maybe 2,000 of that to actual, like, you know, 
learning and, and you know, professional furniture making. Right. Um, what would you say the other the stuff other, on the house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other stuff is probably just, you know, just mucking around and not really taking it serious. Right. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Just to go off on a little tangent from what I was originally going to say, if you like mucking around and it, like, I'm sure you enjoy all the work, especially when you're really focused on, on making it, call it that 2000 hours that you've been doing. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd assume it's probably when you're really making proper pieces that maybe you're selling like the pieces you made with me or, or, you know, the stuff you're working on now, but how important do you feel that stuff is compared with the mucking around like is the mucking around like stuff that you don't you know you, know, you just look on as like oh, i'm just you know chopping up a piece of wood and seeing how the grain is or or like what what's the difference for you does that make sense so i mean i guess yeah i guess the difference um between those mucking around doing it professionally i think the mucking around was more at the beginning when i was just getting the feel for things and just sort of, you know, still unsure if I wanted to pursue this mm. as a career. Um, and then I guess, you know, once I did make a decision, then I think the, you know, the 10,000 hour rule started to, you know, come into play. Yeah. Um, doing a professionally kind of thing. Yeah, right. So then on that, were you aware of that from, like, when did you become aware of that rule or that sort of saying? Not so much a rule, but. Um, I think my dad had mentioned it to me probably like about six years ago. Yeah. That it's, you know, the 10,000 hour and that, you know. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't, I don't know all that much about it, to be honest. Yeah. But I just know that, you know, I guess once, you know, one has done 10,000 hours of, you know, his or her profession that they become a true master of it. Yeah. Um, no, totally. And it's, I think it's from, there's probably a few people who talk about it, but there's a guy, his name is Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and he explains the 10,000 hour rule, which he considers practice or the key to success in any field is simply practicing that specific task. So that can be 20 hours of work a week, which I'm sure you, you would do um, right. for 10, for 10 years. So you've been doing it now for 10 years. Um, you know, maybe you have done 20 hours. I'm sure some weeks you would have done more, some, some less, but you average it out. Um, but at the age of 22, it's undoubtedly certain that you will get to 10,000 hours and who knows, maybe even, you know, 50,000, 100,000 hours in this craft. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is, is pretty cool. So, okay, that's, um, that's good to know. The other thing I wanted to touch on, for me, I've, you know, I've, I feel like everyone has the capacity to be creative. And, you know, I was talking to a friend during the week. She was putting together this uh, presentation for a uni course that she was on. She's like, I'm not creative at all. So this is really hard for me. And it was just an interesting line that came out of her mouth. Like, I'm not creative at all. And it's something that I used to think of myself, that I wasn't a creative person. But... I think it's total bullshit. I think I am creative. I think she's creative. I think we all have the capacity to be creative. Um, so one, yeah, but one thing that I think helps is having some guidance and, and having a mentor. Um, right now I'm lucky enough to be working 
um, in, in my work and a guy that I'm working with is, is uh, Lee Rogers, who I know you, you know Lee. Um, I don't know how well you know Lee, but you know of him, I'm sure. Um, he's, he's, you know, a creative director who's worked for decades in the, in the film industry and has created many, many ads and, and many things. I probably butchered his bio there, but, you know, there you go. <laughs> Off the cuff. G'day, Lee, if you're listening. But um, he's just been like a mentor for me in this short period of time and I'm learning so much from him in, in the sort of seven weeks that I've been at this job. This guy, Alistair Bowl, for you... And maybe there's some other people, but how much do you think learning off another person rather than just going at it on your own helped? Like, do you think it sped up the process of your, your skill? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause you know, it's, um, it's one thing to, you know, to learn from your mistakes, but you know, if you're, if you're learning from someone who's already made those mistakes before, they can teach you the right way so you never make those mistakes. Mm. Um, so it speeds up your learning tremendously. Um, yeah, and, you know, b- before, before going to, to the school in Boston, that was one thing um, that I'd heard a lot of, you know, a lot about. It's like, you know, from, from past students as well, it's like, you know, in this two-year program, you're going to learn, like, uh, pretty much what would you know what it would take a whole a one person to learn in a whole lifetime you're going to get that in two years at the school wow because there's so much knowledge and you know information amongst all the instructors at the school that you know you're going to learn yeah an immense amount of uh, about you know furniture making rather than you know some someone being self-taught and having to to figure it all out for themselves and take them maybe 20 to 30 years before they have that knowledge. So, um, yeah, definitely, you know, having Alistair Bowl there, um, in the, you know, in the early stages was a huge, you know, huge leg up for me. Um, mm. and even going into the school, cause I already knew how to operate all the machinery really safely and stuff like that. So I was able to sort of, you know, skip that and and learn extra or learn more than what most students would have at, at the school in boston i don't think i could have done that if i hadn't have been for hours there and and you know joining that guild you know six six or seven years ago that's incredible yeah i, I love what you said you know it's it's one thing to learn from your mistakes but you know if you can do it on another person's you know learn from their mistakes it's it's even better than those mistakes obviously would have already been made. So <laughs> less yeah. mistakes is, is good. And yeah, something that I've certainly done is, is learn from my, my mistakes or, or tried to as, as much as possible. Good to, good to think with that. I wanted to ask you while we're on the subject of, of your woodwork, and I'm sure we'll, we'll keep talking about it because it's clearly a big part of who you are in your life. But can yeah. you, can you describe like the feeling, whether it's at the at the end of the process of making a piece of furniture or or creation or or even during that you get that that makes you want to do it that makes you you know you're lighting up no one's see it but you you know <laughs> massive turn on yeah. your face yeah describe that feeling yeah so I think um, I think it starts with the 
So it starts with the concept and idea, you know, at the start, um, and mainly the, to do with the problem solving, trying to figure out the best way to make a piece of furniture that'll last for generations and generations. Um, that's probably where, you know, what really gets me, you know, intrigued into a piece of furniture. Mm. Um, and, you know, from there, it's certainly the, the process of making the, the piece of furniture, which is the funnest part, you know, for me, because, you know, um, you, you're working with your hands and you get, you get satisfaction of, you know, closing up the shop, you know, after hard day's work and, and looking back on, on what you've accomplished that day and you're like, all right, cool, you know, I, I built that with my two hands and, um, yeah, it's, it's just everything, I guess, from the, from the, you know, using the machinery and the, and the hand tools and, and being creative as well with the, with the way you approach your work. Um, and then the, the proudest moment is when you guess, you know, either deliver the piece of furniture to the client or you just, you know, finish it and you step back and you, you look at it as a, as a whole. Um, and you're like, wow, you know, I, I did that. Um, cause sometimes, you know, especially with long projects, you could be so, so involved in it for like several months and feel like you're not getting anywhere with it. Mm. But you just keep on persisting, then all of a sudden you go, "Wow, you know, I, I did it. I am, I made it, and you know, it came out much better than you know, I thought." Right. Let's talk about that. What are some of the the hardest things in that creative process? Like you say, some may be drawn out over months. Like I take the example of maybe an author. You know, someone who's trying to write a book. Um. You know, the, the writing process is something that's, that's said to be quite hard. Um, there's, a great, there's a great quote that from, a, from a guy that I love that I mention all the time on the podcast, Seth Godin, and he says, you know, no one has talker's block because all we do is talk all the time. You never have something that you, you know, you, you always have something that you want to say or that you feel you can say or most people anyway, but there's writer's block. For you, you're not you know, it's, it's similar in the sense that you're not actually crafting with wood every second of the day or as much as you would be, say, talking. So what are, you know, do you have those creative troubles? Like you just completely demotivated at times and how do you, like, if so, how do you get over that? Yeah, um, I, I guess, I think it, it wouldn't come, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, now and then I do have, you know, days where I'm not really motivated to, you know, go and either make something in the shop or just design something. I think I think it comes down to design because, I am I mean, I'm not much of a designer. If, you know, there's always this argument, are you a designer or are you a maker? Yeah. I'm more of a maker. Like if you, if you gave me, a, you know, a photo of a piece of furniture and said, I want you to make it, sure, I'll make that. No problem. But... If someone says, oh, I want you to make a table without any information, any background, I would be really stumped. Really? Um, oh. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's probably my biggest challenge is the, is me coming up with, with designs and, you know, my interpretations of, of things. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so I, I, I think of the challenges more to do in the making side of things rather than the actual like designing things. Yeah. Um, you know, like when, when things aren't going your way and, you know, in the, in the workshop or whatever, and, and you make constantly making mistakes, um, you know, it's challenging to just, you know, keep, keep pushing forward. Um, and there've been many, many moments where, you know, it's been like a snowballing effect. Like I'll make one mistake and then it'll just keep going and going and going. Wow. And it's like, you know, it ends up being like a, you know, one step forward, 10 steps back kind of scenario. Um, wow. And so, you know, when it gets to that stage, I'm usually just like, all right, stop what I'm doing, walk away, you know, go, you know, go away, do something else. You know, so that your your attention units are completely on something different. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then and then come back to it in the new unit of time, and you can you know then I feel think you know um think more clear about about the solution, and um you know what you need to do to get you know to fix it or stuff like that. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's cool, man. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I want to go back to the, the example of, of the bookshelf that, uh, that you, you built for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, if anyone's hearing that noise in the background, I believe that's your sister Jess singing, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Hopefully it's uh, not, not interrupting your voice too much coming through here in the final, final edit. But anyway, we'll, we'll crack on. So that bookshelf that you made from memory, I hope you don't mind me saying, mm-hmm. was five hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Which I remember at the time, it you know not being cheap for me. It was like an expensive piece of furniture on the surface, but really, you know, the amount of hours, and you don't necessarily have to say you may not even remember, but I'm sure the amount of hours and not only that, the cost of the wood would have made it like stupidly cheap, like for what it is. And it's going to last me so long. Um, so, you know, thank you again for such a nice piece. But I wanted to ask you, and this is a really business oriented question, and you may not be that business minded in the sense of, you know, wanting to do this to make a lot of money or, or anything like that. Cause I don't think that's what motivates you. Um, mm. But if you were to charge 10 times the amount for any piece moving forward, so I don't know if you have a trademark piece. I know that you've used to make, probably still do make like uh, chopping boards, like really nice, you know, or serving serving platters. They might be better better put. Is, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like as a simple thing. I mean, I've seen you've, you've crafted like animals out of wood and all these sorts of things. Like it's, it's incredible. But if you were to charge... Just as a blanket rule, you're just adding on a zero onto the end of every everything you do from from this day forward. Yeah. How do you think you would act differently towards what you created? Like, how would you present the product differently? How do you think you could justify a ten times increase in price right now? Like the next mm. piece, the next piece, someone comes to you, they're like how much is this bookshelf? And you're like five grand. 
or it might have even gone up. You, you might charge me a thousand dollars for that shelf now, and we're saying it's ten grand. How would you do that, twenty-two-year-old mm. Jackson Fairley? All right. Um, I think certainly having a having a larger, uh, yes, budget would increase the you know uh, the amount of cre- creativity I have on the piece of furniture. So I could, you know, um, you know, maybe take a little bit more time with certain processes, jazz the piece up, give it some more, you know, some flair to it, um, and just, you know, really, really make it like really high end stuff. I mean, I, I do that now anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, just we just went, you know, like you said, you know, if you if I, if I were to get like a you know a product and add another zero onto it. I guess the the quality would be so much higher because I've got the ability to take my time and and do a really superb job on it. Right. Um, yeah. I know. I know. That obviously, that question, yeah, is really putting you on the spot. You probably weren't thinking <laughs> something like that before. That's right. But can you maybe like expand on that idea of say jazzing it up, which I'm pretty sure most people would understand, but it's, you know, adding a bit of or extra life and, and spice to it, so to speak. But how, yeah. how would you do that with, with say a bookshelf? How would you jazz up a bookshelf? So more, I, I get, yeah, more than what you already do. Yeah. So it would, it would come down to like everything from like the, the wood selection you know, rather than, uh, you know, you get like premium wood, um, which obviously, you know, is aesthetically more pleasing. Um, there, there are these different processes called like um, inlay and, and banding and, and marquetry and, and they're all different like, how would you say it? They're like little, um, the ways of embellishing something to to make it stand out more um yeah um and you know everything from like i said the wood selection to these embellishments to the to the amount of sanding and and finishing work and you know um to the feel of the piece of furniture to the way it looks just all those all those things would be taking up to a to a whole new level um right yeah cool well, yeah. maybe I'll have to uh, think with that at, at some point and see if I can splash out on a <laughs> $10,000 bookshelf. But it's, yeah, it's something that I like asking people who are doing creative work or even maybe not so much, um, you know, designing things or, or making pieces of art, but even just charging for a service, um, which is obviously still in some case creative. Now, coming back to... Uh, your 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 travel overseas to to the to Boston. What what else did you learn other than obviously honing your skills? You mentioned you know you'd learn in two years on this course more than or the equivalent of what someone may learn in a lifetime. Yeah. Were there any other skills that maybe you didn't expect to learn from from living overseas on your own? Mm, I think. Um I certainly learned to grow up quickly, you know, um, living at home. Well, cause this is the first time I, I'd, I'd been away from my family and lived, you know, away from them. Um, so, you know, it certainly taught me to, you know, obviously like 
uh, you know, cook on a regular basis and not just cook anything, but, you know, make sure it's nutritionally, you know, healthy and, um, you know, lifestyle sort of like that. Um, you know, do my laundry, just, just the normal stuff you would do, you know, <laughs> if you were to live away from your parents. Um, um, and yeah, I, I, just, I learned to just get around the city a lot by myself because I had no car or anything like that. Yeah. You know, um, and that, that was funny. There were so many moments where, you know, I completely went the opposite direction <laughs> and it would take me like four hours to get back home. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I think it, it's a bit of a tough question because like when I was in Boston, most of my time was, I literally lived at the school. Right. Um, yeah, because I was there like whenever the school was open and literally from seven o'clock in the morning till 5.30 at night almost seven days a week because the school was open on the weekends too. Um, So, yeah, I I guess I think I just generally learned to to grow up and and sort of fend for myself a bit. Mm. Um, Yeah. That's cool. What would your maybe biggest advice be to anyone who is thinking about taking a leap and doing something like that, like moving overseas? Obviously, like America is still... Like it's it's probably quite similar to Australia in a lot of regards. You know, it's English speaking. Mm. You know, it's it's Western culture, but you know, it's still a it's still a big leap. Because how old were you when you went? Nineteen or twenty? Twenty. Right. So it was you know still quite a big a big thing for for a twenty year old to do. What would your advice be to to people of any age who are thinking of you know maybe changing career paths or or going all in on mm. their passion from their age of 12, what would you say? I, I, w- I would do it, 100%. Um, I, I just love the, the idea of being independent in another country um, and, you know, being able to, to, to do, what I, do what I love every single day for, for two years was just, you know, a dream. It was... Yeah, looking back on it, I wish I could do it all over again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah. That, that'd be my advice. Just, just do it. Awesome. Cool, man. So I want to go back and you haven't really mentioned it um, yet, but I, I just wanted to ask and, and maybe touch on when you were born, I believe there were some possible challenges around that. Could you maybe speak yeah. if if that's something you don't mind sharing? Um, no, about how absolutely. You, how you came into this world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was born, I believe, fourteen weeks premature. So then I guess the the standard or the normal um, weeks for for birth or however you want to put it is like forty weeks or thirty eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, forty. Um, yeah, yeah, forty. Yeah. So I was born at. 20, 26 weeks, which I don't know what that is during like, the cycle of, you know, like two thirds of the way through. Right. Two thirds of the way through. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, don't know much about, about the whole situation. Yeah. Um, but from what I, you know, can gather from my parents and stuff like that, 
Uh, I mean, I was in hospital, I guess, six months after being born. I was still in hospital where I was receiving lots of blood um, transfusions and um, I was constantly, you know, because my lungs hadn't developed yet, I was put on oxygen for like a lot, long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess... Yeah, I, I think that that's literally all I really know about it. Wow. Um, yeah, but you know, and that they, they, I think they doctors said that I'd have trouble like fitting into you know to the you know, normal lifestyle and and you know I would have trouble walking and stuff like that and and um, yeah, but you know I think yeah, um, yeah I think. Yeah, that's really all I, all I know about that. Um, yeah, right. I, I just sort of looked it up. I think weeks 29 to 20, uh, 29, sorry, to week 40 is known as the third trimester. So wow. it's three trimesters and you weren't into that third one when, yeah, you were born, which is pretty incredible. Um, I didn't know too much about it either. I think I may have seen some photos possibly when it was your birthday recently and, and Jess put something up on, on Instagram or something. Um, oh, yes, you, yes. When you were either born or maybe it was, yeah, after a year or something. But obviously like that's incredible. I know my brother, um, my youngest brother, Harry. Oh no, he's not my youngest brother. Actually, I've got three brothers. So <laughs> someone has to get confused. But um, Harry, uh, who's, how old is Harry now? He's 20. He was uh, maybe maybe six weeks premature, which even that is, is quite a bit, but you're, mm. you're 14 weeks premature, three and a half, yeah. which is wild. And the fact that, yeah, I guess the doctor said you may not be able to walk or, you know, there's probably other things they mentioned. Is there any challenges that you face now, especially in doing the, the work that you do obviously is quite detailed. Is there anything mm. that you notice or? I think the only thing, that I guess had an impact is my lungs and the way they function. Um, You know, I certainly every now and then have a bit of shortness of breath um, after doing exercise and stuff like that. But I think other than that, I was really lucky. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, I think growing up, I, I never, it was weird. Growing up, I never had the, that idea of, oh, I was born, you know, 14 weeks prem and therefore I can't do this, this, this and this sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So I've, I've always had the thing of like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. And yeah. I guess having that mentality has enabled me to just live, you know, a, a normal life and just be. So. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you think your parents... And, and your sister and, and maybe family and friends helped you with that? Like, do they just treat you like a normal kid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, my mum being a mum obviously had, you know, concerns and stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were always just, you know, very supportive and, yeah, and just, yeah, treated me like a normal kid. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah, look, thank you for sharing that. Obviously, I didn't know the story, but it's obviously not something that you even feel now affects you greatly and you're just going about life which is which is cool so yeah a good a good message there 
Nice one. So you're 22. Mm-hmm. I think you've got the world, I'd say, at your feet, but probably at your hands because you're so creative with your hands. <laughs> Pardon that uh, cheeky pun. But good. What, is your, what is your biggest goal in life right now? Right now, after, yeah, I mean, after coming back from, from school for, you know, being there for the last two years, I think, I think my next goal is to set up a workshop and, you know, basically build up my name and brand and become one of the, one of the world's best furniture makers um, representing Australia sort of thing, you know? That's cool. You said like my next goal and then you said to become one of the world's best, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. Do you think like that's what you're trying to achieve in life to become one of the world's best or is that literally the next goal? And then when you're the world's, one of the world's best, you'll go on to even greater heights. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a combination of the two, I reckon, you know, yeah. um, obviously, uh, you know, the, the sooner the better, but, um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, they're both sort of interrelated. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then this may be a really stupid and straightforward question based on, on that answer, but what motivates you every day to, to get out of bed and, and to, to show up where you do? Um, what motivates me is, is the making of, of furniture making, obviously, but um, but I think... You know, it's one thing just to make furniture for the sake of making furniture, but to make furniture for other people is really, you know, why I do it. Because there's there's nothing better when you make a piece of furniture and you give it to the client and they're just blown away and amazed at what you've produced. Yeah. So, you know, um, that, that I think, you know, gets me up every morning. That's sick, so that's sick, dude. Really nice. Really well said. And so what is your definition of success? Hmm. Um, I haven't really thought of it too much. Um, I think it's just doing what you want to do and, and basically just being, being true to yourself and not sort of, you know, letting anyone else tell you how to live your life, basically. Nice. Well said. Mm-hmm. And what advice at the age of 22, <laughs> you know where this is going, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone who's listened to, to many, many episodes. But I might actually just quickly touch on it like I, I do occasionally in, in episodes. I started this podcast because I listened to a lot of motivational style podcasts where they would ask the guest, the super successful and high profile guest, what advice would you give to your 20 year old or 30 year old self, depending on, on their age and the difference. And the answers was always quite along the line of, Oh, you know, just, just keep going. Everything will be okay. It'll all work out in the end. But I thought, mm. what if you ask the everyday person, what if I asked my dad that question or my neighbor or my housemate, would their, would their answer be different? Um, and the answers that I've been getting from people I've recorded almost 50 episodes, this actually might be the 50th episode that I've, I've recorded interview, which is uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the answers are along, you know, a similar line, not necessarily that answer, 
Um, but yeah, it's been good asking people this, this question. So yeah, to you, Jackson, what advice would you like to give your 22 now? So I'm not going to say to your 12 year old self, but what yeah. advice would you like to give to your 52 year old self in 30 years? Ooh. time? That's an interesting one. Um, uh, yeah, I guess make sure, you know, make sure you've, you've done what you've wanted to do and you've, you've been happy doing it. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think it comes down to, to happiness really. Um, yeah, that's a tricky, it's a tricky question. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I like your answer. As simple as that. Awesome, mm. mate. Well, I think it's a good place to leave it there. But before we do go, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, not really. I'm not not on my behalf, but I guess I'd I'd like to say thanks for thanks for having me on the show. It's um, I really love what you're doing. It's it's great. I um, you know, every morning in Boston, I'd wake up and see if you've, you know, released a new pod, you know, a new episode and, wow. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to that whilst, you know, every morning whilst I have my breakfast and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, it was great. It was so fascinating listening to, you know, about other people and, and what they've, they've, you know, their life has been like. So, yeah. Um, right, thanks. No, thank you, mate. Thanks for, for saying that's kind words and I'm glad it, it, uh, you know, that you, you enjoyed it, especially over, over at a time where maybe you didn't have too much social interaction or at least from people that maybe you grew up with and knew. But, um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Before you go, you are, like, such a humble humble young man, which I'm sure is, is clear to everyone listening. But can you please absolutely plug yourself? Where can people find you and the work that you do? Yeah, so um, got a few places. So, first of all, um, a website jacksonfairly.com and uh got my social media accounts it's uh instagram jackson jackson underscore fairly and uh facebook is just jackson fairly dash fine furniture awesome yeah well i'll put all those uh all those links into into the show notes so i highly recommend and obviously this isn't paid or anything like that i'd never have <laughs> never have anyone pay um for, you know, a sponsored ad or anything on this podcast, but you know, I've I've got you know two of your pieces like I mentioned in my house. I love them. I hope to add to them one day. Um, but yeah, check them out if uh, if you want anything like that. And uh, yeah, Jackson, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, man. It's been fun. Hey, thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, episode forty-seven with Jackson Fairley. Thank you so much to Jackson. You know, as someone who really really was a a fan of the show Um, I'm privileged to have him on he was someone that I didn't originally think would maybe make for the perfect sort of guest uh, because I know how humble and sort of softly spoken he is but I think he did a really good job and it just goes to show that everyone truly has a story if not multiple stories to tell you know, we, we have limited time to, to get out and, and tell everyone's stories, but I do really appreciate him and I hope you listening learned a lot. 
Um, I also just want to touch on a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. There's a lot of a lot of crazy stuff that's happening. You know, coronavirus is still you know going on. There's a lot of stuff happening in the United States and even here at home for me uh, in Australia. But rather than commenting directly on that stuff, I just want to say that you know I considered not putting anything out this week, and I decided not to. You're listening to this, whether it's you know in this week, the sort of first week of, of June 2020, or even if you're listening to it later, but I just want to say that I think we need to still keep creating and, and spreading love and spreading messages of hope, and that's why this, this podcast was created. You know, I was fucking lost at some point in my life and, you know, I'm slowly getting to a point where, where I'm not and I'm finding my feet, but I know that there are people out there who, who need help and, and need the love and need, you know, support. So that's that's all I'm, I'm trying to do with this. I'm putting that out there and if it helps just one person, as cliche as that might sound, you know, sure, I'd like to help tens of millions of people, but you can't do that unless you help one person to begin with. So that's what I'm doing. It's helping me and I'm one person so if it helps you too I'd love for you to share it with someone spread the love and yeah spread the hope so until next time all the best